are again. Where? Back in the saddle. We're in a we're on a horse? We're mounted on that horse called the Weird, and we're gonna ride that fucker till he drops dead. Like we're both in the same saddle. Yeah. Big horses can handle it. Is it a special saddle with two seats? Well, there's those big horses, the kind that pull beer. Yeah, a Clydesdale. We're, we're on a Clydesdale. Right. I would like a sidecar. I just feel like we'd be chafing each other all the time. Oh my God, I would love a sidecar. If we ever go on tour, let's go in a motorcycle with a sidecar. And I have to be in the sidecar and I'm annoyed the whole time. <laughs> that would be great. Dan, slow down. The wind is making me cry. I think they're the one of the ugliest vehicles ever created. But you look at them and it's instant comedy. Yeah. Even empty, they make me laugh. Yeah, that's what I mean. They're like dumb looking. Yeah. Sorry for any of our listeners that have a motorcycle with a sidecar. That was really insensitive of Riley to bring that up. I don't think they're legal anymore, Dan. What do you mean? I don't think sidecar motorcycles are legal, are they? I think think so. I'm not going to say that they are because I don't know that, but I certainly have seen ones that look more modern-y. Really? Yeah. I haven't. I've seen those trikes, those three-wheel Well, that's kind ones. of maybe what I'm thinking of then. Yeah, I think they look otherworldly. I love them. Do you know what I want to get? I want to get a scooter. Not a scooter like a Vespa, but one of those upright scooters like you stand on that are electric. I love them. That, that everyone's dying on? No one's dying on them. Why do you get a shit on my happiness? I was reading an article in Cosmopolitan, and it said 68% of the people who ride them die. Yeah, because Cosmopolitan is just known to be factual. Were you also choosing the best eyeshadow for summer? Yes. Mystic Gold. Yeah, here, look. You can get something like this. Uh, For our listeners, because this is not a visual show, he showed me a black and white space age looking uh, motorcycle with a sidecar. And it looks like something George Jetson might have owned. And in fact, it probably is really old. I don't think that's modern. I would have ridden that. (laughs) So that's on eBay. And that's currently going for $5.97 American. Really? Yeah, I guess they're trying to start a bidding war. Is it a picture of a sidecar? Scooter with rare sidecar. Oh my God, it's a photo. Someone's selling a photo. Who the hell would buy that? People collect weirdness. Okay, can we get back to the topic at hand, which is weird stuff that we're going to talk about? The weirdos are out there waiting for us to start the show. Yeah, let's get on with it. So tonight, Dan, I'm going to do what I would call a top 10 mystery. Uh-huh. Well, not mystery, but would, weird uh, You story. mean like one that's like would rank in the top 10 as being one of the weirdest? Absolutely. And one of the most well-known. This has got media saturation. Is it the link between uh, Emmanuel Lewis and Punky Brewster? Who is that? I, I know. Oh, Punky Brewster was a girl and Emmanuel Lewis was a little black child, wasn't he? Or were they? You, you just had a huge cup of foolish with your salad. <laughs> You look so frustrated. Okay, sorry. I'm taking you to northern Utah. Tonight, Dan, we're going to be spending the night at the Skinwalker Ranch. Hmm. You don't know that? I feel like I've heard of the... I went... Hmm. was like, I think I've heard of the Skinwalker Ranch. And you call yourself a weirdo. No, I don't call myself a... I call you a weirdo. No, weirdo. Like our show. We call ourselves weirdos. The no, fans I don't are call myself weirdos. I call myself hip and cool. You should hear what I call you when you're not around. <laughs> I'm like a sidecar to the show. I, like, you're weird, and I'm the cool, hip sidecar. Yeah, you know, whenever anyone describes you, the first thing they say is cool and hip. Yes. Okay, Dan. Skinwalker Ranch. Most of the people out there who have any sort of knowledge of the sort of paranormal will know exactly what I'm talking about. Not me. Skinwalker Ranch. The area is recognized as 
pretty much the number one hotspot of paranormal activity in the United States. It's arguably actually one of the most well-known and documented paranormal sites in the entire world. Yes, Dan, the world. Like when you said Skinwalker, I'm like, okay, I think that sounds vaguely familiar. I've never heard that it's like haunted. I thought maybe it was like a adult theme Star Wars place. Like you could it dress up. It sounds like that. No, it's a hot spot. Dan, Skinwalker Ranch has been the site of UFO um, experiences, encounters with creatures like Bigfoot and ghosts and poltergeist activity. Jeez. Three out of every four people who live in that area claim to have had some sort of paranormal encounter. It's like Hotel Transylvania. Are you going to be in the idiot machine all night? Because I just have to prepare myself. I probably. Okay, I'm prepared. Most folks who know the area describe it as... What are you doing? I'm trying to put my Godiva... <laughs> I'm, try... <laughs> I'm trying to put my Godiva mug in my drawer so that it doesn't keep banging on the desk as I drink from it. Because <laughs> you're not looking at me. You're staring down at the floor. You look like you're asleep. I'm listening to you. I just don't want to disturb... Every time I drink from my Godiva mug. The Godiva mug is legendary. But see, now I'm putting it down here and it doesn't it doesn't bang the desk because you get angry at me whenever it bangs the desk. I don't care because I cut that out of the audio anyway. Why are we having this conversation? OK, are you ready? <laughs> I'm gonna, you're going to give me the giggles. Oh, my God. Lord have mercy. All right, I'm ready. All right. So, like I said, three out of four people in that area, Dan, have had a paranormal experience. That's according to Cosmo. I give up. I give up. It's just not going to happen tonight. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Stop. Oh, my God. Stop. You walked into that. I just want to have a nice <laughs> podcast. Do you know how much time I spent researching this particular? I stop. You, you, <laughs> Thank God I got Starbucks. Oh, God. Mm. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to be good. The general area that we're in is known as the Uinta Basin. Okay. And that dates back to the, to the native tribes that uh, have inhabited the area. The events date back as far as the 1700s when Spanish explorers claimed to have seen strange craft floating over their camps at night. By the 1970s, reports of UFO sightings in the Uinta Basin area were so plentiful that the Utah Highway Patrol stopped completing incident reports about those events. There were so many people seeing UFOs that they just said, don't bother anymore. And that's kind of still to this day. Many feel that the Skinwalker Ranch and that whole Uinta Basin area is a central hub. And I know this is, sounds far-fetched, but just stay with me. It's a central hub from which all the events and manifestations in North America originate. So it's like a portal? It's like the eye of the hurricane. Okay. It's calm. Well, I guess not because the eye of the hurricane would be calm. It's like the vortex, the center of the vortex. Okay. Now, Skinwalker Ranch, the actual physical area we're going to visit tonight, and we're going to visit it extensively, is about 480 acres. It's huge. Uh, it's located about 100 miles east of Salt Lake City. Picture the Roadrunner. Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner. Picture the topography mm -hmm. of the Roadrunner show. Mm -hmm. Lots of scrub brush, lots of reddish earth, really beautiful, lots of clay. Uh, the ranch itself, one of the borders of the ranch is called uh, Skinwalker Ridge. It's what it's colloquially referred to. Did you see that? I said it properly. Colloquial. I said it. 
it's a brand new day. I feel like I should I should sing. <laughs> Put on your Sunday clothes when you feel down and out. Strut down the street and have your picture took. Anyway, I'm I'm over it. You're uh, you're disrupting your own show now. I'm in such a good mood and I'm so excited about this topic. So beautiful area, you know Utah Monument Valley, all of that kind of thing. It looks like that. It looks like yes. the set for the end of Close Encounters beautiful lots of cottonwoods there's a river flowing through the ranch so i learned some stuff that i really am happy i learned but also upset me this is history you'll probably jam on it as well because it's upsetting so the strange history of that particular area can be traced back to its earliest human inhabitants which is the ute tribe that's u-t-e yes And their oral history is filled with stories of strange encounters and strange creatures and strange events that have happened in the area. They will actually not set foot on the property known as Skinwalker Ranch. Wow. During the U.S. Civil War, some Ute Indian bands joined with this legendary frontiersman that I'd never heard of before, Kit Carson, uh, in a military campaign against the Navajo. And the campaign ended with the Navajo being expelled from their lands and forced to march to a reservation in Fort Sumner, which was about 500 miles away. And this was on foot. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know about this. The ordeal is famously known as the Long Walk of the Navajo. That's right. Four years later they'd realized they'd made an error and the tribe was allowed to return to their homelands. I didn't know this, but the Navajo are the largest Indian tribe in North America. I didn't know that still. Yeah. And they have the largest amount of reservation property. They have the largest territory. And that walk was like considered a, like a death walk. Like they, it was meant to punish them. So many died on the walk. That's right. I mean, the elderly, there were people with babies. And the military was trailing them the whole time. They were watching them and making sure that they were going where uh, to Camp Sumner. Fort. Sorry, Fort Sumner. It was an atrocity. It was a war crime. It was terrible. And the Ute had a hand in it. I didn't know that. I didn't didn't know that that either. So the Ute believe that the Navajo put a curse on the tribe for their transgressions against them. But apparently the uh, history of the Ute and the Navajo go back farther than that. All that to say, it was then, at that moment, that the skinwalkers first begin to plague the Ute tribe. Now, I don't know if you know much about skinwalker legend, but it's fascinating. They they believe that the skinwalker presence in the Uinta Basin, which we're dealing with, extends back at least 15 generations. They don't believe that the skinwalkers actually live on the ranch, but rather they reside in a place nearby called Dark Canyon. I love that. That's, I mean, Dark Canyon. What else is going to live there but some really nasty shit, right? Mm. Now, the Ute tribe members, as I mentioned earlier, are forbidden from going anywhere near the Skinwalker Ranch property, lest they end up in the path of the Skinwalker, which is almost always fatal. So what's a skinwalker? Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask, but didn't want to jump the gun. I didn't want to jump the gun. It's okay if you wanted to. The skinwalker is basically a shape-shifting entity. Right. It's very much like a werewolf. I think probably that the uh, European legends of the werewolf is closely tied to this. You'll find stories of the skinwalker specifically in the southwestern United States in an area commonly referred to as the Four Corners. I'd never heard of the Four Corners. The Four Corners are Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico. Are they human origin or are they spirits? 
Okay. They're human, and I'll tell you how they got to be the way they are. The legends date back hundreds of years. The Navajo word for skinwalker, if you literally translate it into English, translates to it moves on all fours. It's known as one of the most dangerous entities in Navajo lore. Now, these folks were once human medicine men, but they turned and decided to use their powers in the service of evil Mm. because medicine men were extremely benevolent. Mm -hmm. They used herbs. They used the power of the earth Mm -hmm. to heal and to make the tribe stronger. Navajos believed that even discussing skinwalkers would attract them. So they, to this day, avoid the topic entirely. It's a hard, hard journey to get a Navajo to talk about skinwalkers because they believe as soon as you do, one will show up or one will start to plague them. You remember uh, Penny Dreadful. Absolutely. I know you do because you love it, right? Yeah. Wasn't there, wasn't in that last season, wasn't that one of the characters, wasn't he a skinwalker? I'm not sure. I thought he was a werewolf. I'd have to go back. One of the main characters was was a werewolf. Yeah, the guy. I can't remember his name, the actor. Josh Hartnett. He always looks like he has dirty hair. No, but remember there in that last season, he there's a Navajo, in, uh, well, Indian, as he's referred to in the show, but a, a Navajo man who sort of is like his spirit guide as well. And doesn't he shapeshift? I don't, because I remember they're in the American West, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know what, I, I'm not going to say anything because I don't, we'll look that up and figure it out. Skinwalkers are predominantly male. At night, they have the power to change into any animal or human form that they desire. Oh, so it's not just one shape. They can it's not one anything shape. they want. The most common skinwalker forms that are spoken of are cougars, bears, coyotes, eagles, and foxes. This is interesting. When they transform, they also inherit the speed, strength, and abilities of the shape they have taken. They also have another power. They can enter your body as a spirit if you stare at them, look them straight in the eye. So if you make eye contact with a skinwalker, it can invade your body. Even when it's transformed into animal shape. Yes. They can also possess animals. So they don't have to shift in them into that form. They can actually possess that form. Like Bran in Game of Thrones. Yes. To become a skinwalker, you must kill someone close to you. That's part of the rite of passage. And it's generally a family member or a friend. You would have no problem with that. Skinwalkers are also known to read minds, and they have an amazing ability to mimic sounds and voices. And they use that ability to catch their victims. So, for example, you could hear in a cave a voice going, help me, daddy, help me. And then when you went in to investigate, you would find a skinwalker waiting to consume you. My God. They're almost always seen in wooded areas. Now, to kill a skinwalker, to rid the earth of this horrible entity, you definitely will require the assistance of a shaman. And the shaman must use the skinwalker's evil powers against it. So it has to take the power of the skinwalker and turn it against the the skinwalker. You can also kill them with a bullet or a knife that has been covered in white ash. Hmm. That's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And I think, again... It's such a, a close relationship with the silver bullet legend to kill werewolves, right? Mm-hmm. White ash. So mm-hmm. just ash from a fire that is white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the way that you can kill them. So they would, people would often, Navajos who had to go near skinwalker areas would have blades that had been coated in white ash for their own protection in case they ran into a skinwalker. Hmm. So that is the legend of the skinwalker. In itself, I could have done a whole episode about skinwalkers. This is not what we're talking about tonight? Not at all. What? Nope, that's just Okay, background. can I ask you a question about them, though? 
Yeah, absolutely. Once they become a skinwalker, mm-hmm. are they immortal? Yes, I believe so. Wow. They're terrible entities because they're, they're servants of darkness. And, they're and that's the, something the Navajo still don't like to talk about. Very difficult. Cool. I watched a lot of interviews with Native Americans, Indigenous Americans, and the Utes will talk about the skinwalker. I didn't see any interviews with Navajo uh, tribes Very people. Cool. I need to go. I do need to go, and I'm going to have to do research. Oh, you should see the drawings. They're amazing. So there are drawings. Oh, yeah, and and photographs. Just photograph of one. Oh, okay. We'll have to include these. uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's a spindly, wolf-like creature, but most often bears and wolves are the ones that people see the most. It's like my druid in Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, well, druid, druidism is that. Yeah. You shapeshift into an animal form, right? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So now we're going to actually start talking about the Skinwalker Ranch itself, this property in the Uinta Basin. That ranch was first developed by a family named Myers, and it was developed in 1905. Very late, but it's tough turf down there. It's not like, you know, the verdant lands other, at, at, at other locations in the United States. This is tough turf. Yeah, and the West developed a lot later than exactly. the rest of the country. Like some of those West, the westerns and stuff that we grew up on is relatively late, yeah, historically. But it looks like it two hundred years ago, and it was like a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so mostly these areas are used for cattle. The great for cattle because there's scrub. There's lots of land to roam on. The first homestead uh, at the location was a cluster of small buildings that was located in the northwest corner, and that homestead was abandoned. And the Myers family built a new home on the eastern side of the ranch. This is the uh, homestead that you will hear referred to again and again in discussions of the Skinwalker Ranch as Homestead 2. And they were not called, it it wasn't named uh, Skinwalker yet though. No, no, that's not what it was ever named. It's just the moniker that's been attached to it. that's what people call it. And do we know why they abandoned the first site? I'll get to that. Okay. Okay. So Homestead 2 is big, in, not in terms of geography. Homestead 2 is a hotbed. It's said to be where the most shit goes down at the ranch is Homestead 2. It's a cluster of old abandoned buildings. I've seen them. They're just Blair Witchy as can be. Oh. You just look at them and you're automatically terrified. So no one lives there anymore? No. Homestead 3 oh. is where they live. Oh, they do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Homestead 3 is the last of the dwellings that were built. And that's modern. That's got your electricity, that's got all of the modern conveniences, and that's the place that people live to this day if they When was that built, roughly? I don't know. It doesn't mention the date of when that happened, but it was probably somewhere around, I would say, the 1960s. Okay. Judging by the building I've seen inside it, it looks to me that it would be like probably 50s or 60s. And how far far apart are these um, homesteads? I think Homestead 2 from Homestead 3 is probably about 15 miles. Oh, so it's quite a distance. Yeah, it's quite a distance. And the same family, right? Moving from one to the other to the other? Yes, the Myers family. That's the only uh, family that we can trace back. See, I can be good. I can ask real legitimate questions that provide color and energy to your story. Of course you can. You know I'm just teasing you. I love you. I just choose to sometimes harass you. Well, and I don't yank your chain. I'm constantly being mean to you. (laughs) Um, Like I said before, there's a ridge that borders the property. It's like a natural wall. It's uh, referred to as Skinwalker Ridge. It's beautiful. It's kind of like a mountain shale mountain kind of thing. You'll see pictures of it. A single dirt road is the only means of accessing the property. It's the only way in and out. There are no other roads. 
In the 1930s, the ranch, I said, was occupied by Kenneth John Myers and his wife, Edith. In 1987, they suddenly and abruptly abandoned the property. The property was uninhabited for more than seven years. And in 1994, it was purchased by Terry and Gwen Sherman, who saw it as the perfect setting to raise their two children. They loved the peace and quiet of this seemingly picture-perfect storybook place. And they got a steal for the purchase price. So 480 acres of beautiful cattle land for like a really great price. The property, when they visited, they described it as lovely. It had green pastures, wooded areas. It had a river flowing through it, a beautiful river. Now, Terry Sherman raised high-end cattle. He was an expert in this. He had a university degree, and he was also an expert in animal husbandry and things like that. So, so he's not a, a beginner novice. This is a, this was actually a smart, a really smart move on their part. Okay. He's very well known and very well respected in that field. Mm-hmm. The ranch was perfect for what he wanted to accomplish, which was raising high-end livestock. And I said they purchased a property for a stupid price. And this is a very interesting fact. In the purchase agreement, the previous owners had added some really bizarre clauses. And this one really stood out. They were not allowed to dig on the land without the approval of the previous owners. Right? You can you can put something like that in? You can put whatever you want in a real estate clause. It's just whether or not the purchaser wants to accept it. Right. And that was in the purchase clause. And they accepted it. Well, yeah, because they didn't think there'd be any need to build further. Yeah, so that was one of the weird clauses. There were others. There were others as well that they had to maintain fences and stuff, but that was one that really stood out. Okay. So the primary house was in dire need of repair. As I said before, it had laid abandoned for seven years. Seven years is a long time. So when the Shermans visited the property, they knew that they were in for a few months of disruption because they needed to work to make the house comfortable and safe for their two kids. When they first examined the property, something really stood out for them. Fact that there were deadbolts throughout the house, like crazy amounts of deadbolts. They were on the doors, every single door, every single window, including all interior doors and kitchen cabinets had a deadbolt on it. Weird. I know. And they just... They just said, well, it must have been maybe to prevent raccoons or predators. Maybe, you know, they had a family member who, you know, had uh, was mentally challenged, who they needed to keep doors closed for. There's a lot of speculation about why that was, but nobody knows. Imagine walking through a house and everything's got a deadbolt on it. I'd be immediately like, okay, why? I need to know why. Mm-hmm. They noticed that the front and back doors were also equipped with heavy metal chains. I've seen the chains, we're talking heavy, affixed to huge metal rungs that had actually been embedded into the cement walls. And these were clearly dog tethers for large guard dogs. And this was at both doors that uh, to the house, the front and back door. So they just put this all down to, you know, people and their idiosyncrasies. So they bought the property and it's moving day at last. And they're very excited. They're on the property. They've got a truck. They've got people to help them unload. As they're unloading their possessions, they notice a strange shape on the edge of the southern pasture. As it moves closer, they see that it is a really large wolf. And it's traveling towards them in a carefully executed series of S-turns. So it's like turning back and forth, like a soldier would who's trying not to get shot. Is it going towards them? It's coming towards them. Terry 
Sherman, the father, noted that the animal was probably, and he was a hunter, so he knew, about three times bigger than any wolf he had ever seen. Mm. And it was strangely relaxed, very comfortable with their presence, almost friendly. So the wolf keeps coming towards them, and it stops finally about 50 yards away. Now remember, there's two little kids here as well. And it just stares at them, and they all notice that it has icy blue eyes, like the eyes of a husky. Then it began, once more, to move towards them, wagging its tail. So they all think, well, this is obviously a tame animal. And Terry's father, who was there to help them, actually petted the massive animal. And the whole family said the head of the animal was about shoulder height on Terry. And Terry's over six feet tall. Yeah, wolves can get big. That's a huge wolf. Huge. So the family gathered naturally around the friendly animal, and they thought, well, this must be somebody's pet. Now, remember, there are native communities in the area, and I assume that they thought that the natives it might, might be um, a, a tame wolf, right? Who knows? Nearby to them, there were four breeding cows and a bunch of calves that they had already moved to the property. This is their livestock. And immediately, the cows and the calves become uneasy because they're always uneasy when a predator comes around. Yeah, of course. Now, one small calf who was just a couple of weeks old, way too young to know any better, pokes its head out of the pen and starts to bleat at the wolf. The wolf, without warning, immediately launches itself through the air and in an instant has the poor calf's head between its massive jaws. And the wolf is backing up, trying to drag the young calf out of the pen. Terry immediately grabs an axe handle from nearby and begins to beat the wolf. It ignores him and will not release the calf. In his explanation, he said he was actually taking the handle of the axe and coming down full force on the wolf's skull. And the wolf acted like nothing had happened. So Terry screams to his son to get his gun, which his son does. He runs into the cabin and comes back with a his 357 Magnum. Big gun, big ass gun. Dirty Harry's gun. Yeah. Terry then takes the weapon, fires a shot directly at the wolf's abdomen, and it has zero effect. The wolf continues to keep its jaws clamped around the calf and move backwards. Terry fires again. Again, the wolf seems completely oblivious, doesn't react to the shot at all. That's a big gun, too. Like, that's that's a big caliber bullet. Exactly. So, this time... Terry screams, get my rifle. His son does so, brings it back. Terry fires again. The wolf seems oblivious. Terry fires again. Finally, the wolf releases the calf and backs away. There is no visible blood or wound anywhere on the wolf. It does not act like it has been hurt in any way. Terry fires again at the wolf's chest. It takes a couple of steps backwards and just stares at him. He fires a shot from the rifle straight at the animal, which just stood there, unfazed, staring at him. Terry fires again, and he actually sees a piece of flesh, about a fist-sized piece of flesh, dislodge from the animal's body, fly through the air and land in the dirt, and it still stands there, just staring at him. And then finally, the wolf turns around and trots away, doesn't run. Doesn't act like it's hurt, just walks calmly away. So Terry and his whole family are freaked out. Terry and his son pursue the wolf until they reach the muddy banks of the river. They follow the wolf tracks 
and then the tracks suddenly just stop in the muddy banks. It was as if the animal just vanished. Tracks just stopped dead. There's no way it could have gone anywhere because there was no place to go. When Terry returns to the house, he looks and retrieves the piece of flesh that had dislodged from the animal when he fired at it with the rifle. And they looked at it. There was no blood on it. And it looked and smelled like spoiled meat that had been out in the sun for quite some time. Weird. This was their first day <laughs> arriving on the ranch. Oh, my God. And understandably, the whole family is completely freaked out. Yeah, I guess so. The wolves at Skinwalker Ranch were not an anomaly. There were many other encounters with similar-looking wolves on the property. Gwen uh, Sherman, who was Terry's wife, actually saw a similar creature in the company of two black dogs with enormous heads pass by her near the entrance to the ranch. They passed right by the car, and the wolf was so big that she had to look up and out the window and up to actually see the underside of its jaw. So in the years following the ranch, ranch incidents, the Shermans were asked to try to identify the wolf from a book showing various species of wolf. And all of the Sherman family identified one species, and they were all asked separately. And this species was the dire wolf. Yeah, I was going to say that. Which has been extinct for 10,000 years. That's right. And that's what they claimed they saw. That's actually Game of Thrones again. That's what the, the, all the kids' wolves were dire wolves. So dire wolves were actually part of mm -hmm. our world, but they've been extinct for quite a while. That is the, just the tip of the iceberg. So shall we continue? No, this is good enough. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed tonight's show. Okay, so there's more to this. Way more. My Lord. Can I get some popcorn on Com here? It's complicated. It's a I'm not even talking very much because I'm serious. This is like, I, I, well, I love this stuff. Like this is, this is a great story. By the way, there's tons of coverage on this. I didn't even know the History Channel did a series. I've never heard of this. I don't understand how the- I had. What's wrong with me? If you do a search on paranormal, you'll get this again and again. Anyway, there's a, a History Channel series, not great on it. I watched a bit of it. I didn't like it. And there's also a 2008 movie called Hunt for the Skinwalker, which I didn't like at all. I hated the editing. I hate the way that the film was put together. But it's kind of known as the most definitive movie about it. So if you want to get a good... What's it called? Uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. And where did you watch that? And just find it online. You can buy it on YouTube. Online. They tried to be really clever with the editing, and I don't think they landed it. But mm. you can see what the ranch looks like. You can see what the people in question look like. It just gives you a nice overview of the whole experience. Okay. The History Channel thing, not so much, because the History Channel tried to draw it out into a complete series, and I think that was their failure. You know, they tried to make it too big. Can, can you hear the old-timey fire truck? Is that on your end? I thought it was on my end. Okay, I can hear it. Yeah, there's a. they bought it, I think, a year ago, and it's like has the old sound to it like it's being wound up no the ones downtown do as well oh maybe it's at your place then i guess that's the new trucks they're buying i think they're thing. yeah yeah there's a lot of fire trucks around here you know what i think i told you this earlier but the one time living in this crappy neighborhood has benefited me is that i'm able to get my covid vaccine next week yes you were saying that good for you man i'm so happy so i'm getting pfizer on monday i'm still trying and i will settle for astrazeneca Will you, um, do you have any standing because of Crohn's? No, 
not because of my Crohn's. I do because I'm an educator. Um, and now in our area, if you're over 40, you can get AstraZeneca. And so that is what I'm going to try to get. My daughter is immunocompromised. So my hope was to get Moderna or Pfizer. But you know, in the research I've done, there's no um, guarantee that that would have prevented transmission anyway. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to keep living the way we have for the past year. Mm-hmm. Same. And just be very safe, you yeah, know. That's all you can do with it. You know, I rarely, rarely shit on Canada. I I love where I live. I lived in the U.S. before and I love it there as well, but I love where I live. And I have to say, um, and it's just so unfortunate, but getting a vaccine here, folks, is like trying to fucking get a Cabbage Patch doll in 1984. You gotta just do the footwork yourself. And we're, the way that the vaccines are being distributed is awful. Well, and the, re- the problem is that like the United States, Canada is divided up. Instead of states, we have provinces. You know, our listeners in the UK and France and places like that uh, would, would know, or Australia would know what we're talking about. But our particular province, and we're in the most populous province in Canada that includes Ottawa, where we are in Toronto, which is probably our most famous city next to maybe Montreal and Vancouver. Mm-hmm. It is just a complete shit show. Oh, it is. Everything. It is. The half measures that have been put in place and now the vaccine distribution is horrible. Not uniform across the country. There are certain areas, lots of areas in our country that have done really well. Mm-hmm. Like folks, like to get a vaccine here, the AstraZeneca one, you have to register with every single pharmacy that's giving it out. Correct. So instead of having one central distribution area, you have to track it down. And we're talking like Costco, Walmart. You have to basically hit up every pharmacy to try to find it. It's honestly, it's like buying a Cabbage Patch doll. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think that we deserve better. I think anybody... I did hear something interesting. Uh-huh. I know one of my beefs with the federal government was that under our previous government, they cut Canada's manufacturing capability. We had the capability to produce our own vaccines. Yeah, and they sold it. And they got rid of it. Yeah. I I didn't realize this, but we, very near the beginning of the pandemic, the current uh, Trudeau government actually greenlit a massive plant that's near completion now in Montreal. And they were saying it's beside the point. It won't matter for this pandemic because we already have all the, the vaccines coming in. But for the next one, at least now, hopefully we've learned our mistake and we'll be able to produce our own Uh, vaccines and not rely on shipments from other countries well that's one of the problems with canada is we don't make anything here we just don't we ship the things that you need to make stuff to other places so they can make it and then we buy it back from them capitalism run amok yeah it really is okay i don't want to hit people over the head with uh, the canadian hammer because we have listeners all over the world but anyway that's what's going on in canada with covid all right so back to skinwalker ranch and back to the shermans when does george lucas come into this he directed the whole thing. <laughs> that's why it's just kind of okay. It does sound like Skywalker Ranch. It re- when I first read it, the first... Indust- Industrial Light and Magic. Every time you see it, it looks like a Skywalker. But anyway, we're back at Skinwalker Ranch. So okay. Gwen, Terry's wife, begins to experience strange occurrences. So she would come home from grocery shopping. I love this one. She would unpack her groceries. She'd leave the room for a second. She'd come back and find that everything that she had unpacked was back in the bag on the table. So it was mischievous, poltergeisty kind of activity. Okay. She would shower and she would always place her towel and her hairbrush nearby. It was just one of the rituals that she did when she would shower. When she would come out of the shower, they'd be gone. And then later she would find them in some really strange, inappropriate location in the house. 
one day, Terry and oh, okay, this poltergeist activity. What are you doing? What are you doing? Just the wind. It was like a crazy wind just hit. What's well, a bad day here? You got to focus on me. No, I'm scared. Oh my god. So these kind of things happened constantly in the house. Things would disappear. They would reappear somewhere else, or sometimes they would just disappear, just disappear altogether, and were never found. Okay. So, and you would leave the room for a second, and things would would go amok. Now, Terry, one day, this is a famous event. Uh, it's talked about in a lot of things. Terry is out in the field digging a post hole. He turns away for a second and in that, to get a drink of water. In that tiny moment, his post hole digger, which weighs about 40 pounds, vanishes. And he's out in the middle of a pasture. So there's no place for it to vanish to. It's just gone. And he's like, what the fuck just happened? It was finally located a few weeks later after he'd already purchased a replacement hanging in a tree on the far side of the ranch. It was about 70 feet off the ground. Weird. And this is a heavy item. It's not like the post hole diggers that you buy at like Home Depot. This is an industrial ranch kind of post hole digger. This is a heavy piece of equipment. And there it is up in a tree. So one day, for example, Sherman's son, Terry's son, and a friend of his were tasked with moving and organizing a cord of firewood that had just been delivered to the ranch. Have you ever done this? It's like the worst job moving firewood. I have. Yeah, with a wheelbarrow. Oh, my God. Anyway, so after several hours of hard work moving the wood and stacking it neatly, they had finished. It was moved to its new location. It was about 100 yards away from where it had been dumped. So they had to take a break because it's hot work. It's hot day. They go into the house for a drink. They come back out of the house and they're astonished to find that the cord of wood was right back where it started in exactly the same state as when it had first been dropped off. That's like Dr. Strange level stuff. Like that's like warping reality and time. And that's weird. A cord of wood is a lot of wood. Yep. That's a lot of wood to transport a hundred yards. There's no way anything worldly could have achieved that. I'm going to say this too. Like, I'm assuming there's no way that any of this could be corrobor- corroborated. Corroborated. Like, corroborated. Or is there? Well, it's word of, it's just basically you believe them yeah. or not. But this yeah. is, we're going to go a lot farther. This doesn't. And we're going to talk about their character and the type of people they well, were. Well, not or... really, but we're going to talk about what happens after this. Because the Shermans aren't the only people to go through this. Remember, we're okay, just back in the enough. 90s. There's a lot of distance between us and 1996 that we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, right? Compared to like Amityville, where it's really just one, fa- well, two families, I guess. That, that felt the impact, but then nothing again after that. No, something really interesting is going to happen, and I think you're really going to enjoy this story. So the Sherman family are growing uneasy day by day. Uh, Terry's nephew came to visit them, and Terry and his son took the boy on a tour of the new property, and he was blown away by how beautiful it was. It was just after sunset when they finally decided that they would set out for home, because remember, this is 480 acres. This is a big property. And it was then that Terry noticed that there was a set of headlights moving along the fence line just inside the property. Now, he has seen these lights before, but he's always assumed that it's somebody in a motor vehicle who's taken a wrong turn because it happens from time to time. This time, he's worried that it might be poachers because poachers do their work at night. And it looks like it's inside his property. So he thinks, okay, we got to check this out. He begins to walk 
towards the lights. As he does so, the lights begin to move away from him and the boys join him and soon they're running towards the lights and the lights are retreating at a steady pace. As they get nearer, they can make out the shape of what they believe is a recreational vehicle, an RV, like a Winnebago, right? Oh, weird. But the strange part of it all is, is they can hear no sound of an engine at all. So they continue to get closer and closer. The lights are still on. When they get within about 100 yards of the object, it suddenly, silently lifts off the ground and begins to pass over the top of the trees. So Terry, his son and his nephew just stand there, minds completely blown. The lights continue to travel over the treetops until they eventually disappear into the darkness. During the autumn months at the ranch, these lights, these mysterious lights appear with great regularity. And the increase in the activity of the lights seems to coincide with the arrival of Terry's Simmental and Angus cattle. And this is sort of his best stock. As winter descends, Terry would often have to venture out in stormy weather to retrieve cattle that has wandered off, that had wandered off. Apparently not unusual when you're a cattle rancher. The cows get out, they get restless in the winter. One evening, he's out searching for a missing Angus cow, a very valuable animal, when he comes upon hoof marks in the snow. The hoof marks seem to indicate that the cow had been running towards a heavily forested area. And just so you know, cows will rarely if ever run during a snowstorm unless they are in peril because that's the way to a broken leg that's like gateway to death right once into the the trees he follows the tracks until he reaches a clearing the tracks move to the center of the clearing and just stop the cow is not there there are no indications of a predator no other tracks apparent at all he searches for many hours there is just no sign of the cow That Angus cow is never found. Now, the loss of a cow that valuable has huge financial implications for the Shermans Mm -hmm. because it's what they're doing is very expensive. That's a very expensive piece of livestock. Mm -hmm. Terry begins to patrol at night. He's trying to figure out who or what is taking his livestock. On these patrols, he often witnesses strange lights but can never get close to them Every time he tries, it's as if the lights are aware of him and they always keep a distance from him. So that's if, as if there's a pole between him and the lights, he can never get close enough to them. He's trying to disguise himself, I guess. He's not like out in the open. He's trying to hide and be... Yeah, trying to be sneaky about it, but uh, he can't get close to the lights. One night, he's conducting his customary evening patrol when he notices something move in the darkness, and he's shocked to see a black shape floating over the ground about a 100 yards away. So he crouches down and begins to quietly observe as the strange object moves slowly above his property. He described it as looking like a small, snub-nosed version of an F-117 Nighthawk. A stealth fighter. Yeah, is that an F-17? Are you going to look it up? Yeah, it's F-117. Okay, so he sees what he thinks. So it looks like an F-117 Nighthawk. It looks like a triangle. Yes, I've seen it. It's scary. However, this object is hovering above the ground, motionless and completely silent. Colored lights are shining from the object and moving carefully over the property as if searching. So just imagine these colored searchlights just moving very slowly over the property as if looking for something. Terry was able to watch this undetected for about 15 minutes 
When Terry finally stood, his joints made a cracking noise. His knee made a really pronounced cracking noise because it's dead of night in the most quiet area on earth, right? Mm -hmm. And the lights on the object at that moment abruptly went out and it stopped and turned towards him. He stood motionless. He didn't move at all. He, He scarcely breathed. A few moments passed and the object finally turned around and floated away until it disappeared into the darkness. That was the closest he ever came the whole time on the ranch to one of those objects. I will say that's interesting. It seems like a minor detail about his joints creaking. Mm -hmm. You want to know why I think that's interesting? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd add that if you were making a story up. Well, and he claims that as soon as it happened, boom, the object's lights went out and it just stopped. I love that we've done enough of these shows now that we, we back reference other past shows. But we talked about, with the Bob Lazar, about lying and about things to look for when people lie. And one of the things that liars won't do is provide too much detail, right? Because if they do, then it makes it harder to retell the story with accuracy. Absolutely. One of the ways that you can tell someone's telling the truth is if they are providing a lot of detail. Because it's easy because you're remembering, right? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Spring finally came to the ranch, and with it came the rains. It always would rain during spring. At that period, more and more cattle were lost. However, at this point, they began to reappear, sometimes dead from no obvious cause, sometimes horribly mutilated. So, cattle mutilation. Mm-hmm. Huge chunks of flesh had been removed from some of the animals, and yet there was no evidence of bleeding. Mm. The wounds themselves looked like they had been precisely cut and could not have been made by predators. They were definitely the work of some kind of blade or device. Were they cauterized then, the the wounds? Well, apparently, but cauterization is a burning, Mm -hmm. and there was no evidence of burning. There was just no blood. Okay, that's what I thought, maybe lasers or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Bob Laser. Uh Hey, where was Bob when all of this was happening? That's what I'd like to know. This is a disturbing one. One of the cows was found to be completely intact, except for a very precise hole cut into the center of its left eyeball. Uh. And... A six-inch hole that had been carved into its rectum. Both were very surgically precise, and there was no evidence of blood. And they're alive, these animals still? No, they're dead. Oh, they're dead. Okay. Yeah, all the, all the cattle were found either dead for no apparent reason or mutilated. A lot of cows were just dead. Okay. And they had a veterin- uh, veterinarian examine them, and he couldn't determine what the cause of death was. Interesting. So things continue to escalate, and the Shermans are feeling very unsettled, and besieged. And how you would time, by and, then. And how much time has transpired roughly here? Are we talking a year? A year. Okay. Wow. A year. I'm surprised they lasted that long. Right? And the first thing happened like the first day on the ranch with the wolf that they couldn't kill. So lights were spotted at this point almost nightly. They were almost a nightly occurrence. Circles of flattened grass appeared at various spots throughout the ranch. One night, six of the ranch cats vanished without a trace. They were never seen again. And these cats lived in the vicinity of the house and the barn in that area. Never seen again. The occupants of the house also began to experience objects again moving without any explanation. They would actually see the objects move. Often, they would also also see black figures peering through the windows. And sometimes standing at the end of their beds when they would wake up in the middle of the night. No! Yep. Black, indistinct figures. Shadowy Creatures, Creatures, exactly. Like uh, from the movie Ghost. 
I don't know anything about that movie. Come on. You haven't seen that movie? I saw it once and I thought it was stupid. They're like shadowy creatures that drag you to hell, basically. I saw it once. I just thought it was... That's the noise they made. I feel like I've made that... I've done that impression before. What are those things in Harry Potter? Dementors. Those are Dementors. But what about the Lord of the Rings guys? Those Ooh, guys. The um, Ring Wraiths. Yeah, the Ring Wraiths. I love the Ring Wraiths. But again, they're skeletal. Okay. They're well. not shadow creatures. Yeah, so they're not those then. Anyway, no. strange creatures are spotted around the farm. And these include exotic, multicolored birds that were not indigenous to the Utah area at all. They would spot a hyena-like creature that had curly red hair and a large, very bushy tail. It was actually Sean Tucker. <laughs> it, was later, it was later identified as Sean Tucker. Oh my God. Good for him, eh? He really gets around. There was also a creature resembling a bear that was almost invisible. So it was very blurry and indistinct, but the shape of a bear. There were humanoid creatures that looked like Bigfoot, and these were seen a lot. A lot of people claimed that they saw Bigfoot on that ranch. And finally, vicious, kind of a canine-hyena hybrid with huge claws. And they believed that that was the animal that was ravaging the livestock. I should mention that the horses also had been attacked. None of them were killed because they're fast animals, Mm -hmm. but there were claw marks on the horse's legs. Did you know, by the way, this is an interesting little tidbit that I just learned, that in our area of the world, you know, we have wolves, Mm -hmm. obviously. Yeah, I've seen them. And and coyotes are very, very... Plentiful. Plentiful. And turkeys. Yes, we have wild turkeys. Turkeys are everywhere now. But a lot of the wolves that we see are not actually pure purebreds anymore. They've mated with coyotes. The other month I was putting garbage out at night and i heard what sounded like at first i thought it was just a dog yelping and then it became a chorus of how uh, wolf howls Ooh. and it was maybe a hundred feet away oh. i live in an area that has tons of parks it's all crescents and yeah I've lots seen of it. heavy growth trees and uh, fields and really close to uh, wilderness where we are we're on sort of the old outskirts of the city so that it's a common thing, but it was strange because I knew we had coyotes in the area, but never wolves. But then I was reading about them. No, they these actually could be hybrids between the two animals. Do you know that um, the turkeys that we currently have are not indigenous to Ontario? I did not know that. Where the turkey from? population was almost gone because of poaching and hunting and stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyway, they brought uh, turkeys back, but the turkeys that they seeded here are too hearty. Oh. So they don't have any natural predators and they're really, really aggressive. Like they're much more, they're not as easy to take down. And so they're thriving. Hmm. <laughs> Why are they not easy to take down? Uh, they're barbed. That you know their claws are barbed, right? Like they have oh. a they have a barb at the joint that they defend themselves with. Apparently, they're vicious and they're really weather resistant, much more weather resistant than the other breed. I saw one just for the first time ever uh, last fall on a hiking trail. Oh my god! I see them all over the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, turkeys. Okay. So I just talked about the canine hyena hybrids with the huge claws. Now, the Shermans could also hear strange sounds at night, like machinery operating in the ground beneath their feet. So if you've ever been in a city and you feel a subway underneath you, that's what the Shermans described it to be like. There was something under the ground, a machine working because it was very rhythmic. This reminds me of that movie, The Cabin in the Woods. It's like everything Everything. I know. That's why they say this is the hub from which all paranormal activity originates. The neighbors 
uh, neighboring people around that area also reported hearing sounds under the ground. Mm. So let's just leave that there. They would often see bright lights emanating from beneath the ground and shining up into the sky. So pretend you buried a spotlight in the ground and it was shining up towards the stars. That's what they would see at night. They also heard strange voices coming from above them in the sky, speaking a very strange otherworldly language. And the voices always seemed to have a mocking tone. One morning, Terry wakes up, goes outside and finds two beautifully precise identical holes cut into his land. It would have been responsible for probably about 300 pounds of soil being displaced. He can find no sign of the excavated earth or where it had gone. It was never located. What's he doing still living there? It's everything in the world that they have has been put into that ranch. Right. They have no choice. They're stuck. It's not like us just getting up and buying another house. He needs a ranch. He raises cattle. It's an unusual kind of property. You know, it's not just easy to pick up stakes and move. And are his neighbors helping at all? Like, are they forging relationships with them? He has no neighbors. 480 acres. No, but I mean, there's people, other people in the general area. that They're all ranches around there. there there's, a, there's a town nearby, though. I think it's called Butler. I mentioned that a little later in the, in the pod. But there's a, there's a town nearby where they go for provisions and stuff. Okay. But anyway, there's no neighbors. So the holes are dug, where's the dirt? It's never found. There's also been uh, seen an invisible entity, which doesn't make sense because I'm saying it was seen, but it's invisible, but they could tell it was there because the livestock would part and become very agitated when it would pass through the ranks. So if you have a herd of livestock, they part and you can actually see something moving through them, but it's an unseen presence, but they're aware of it. So they're all backing away and they also see footprints in the water so they'll see a puddle and suddenly a footprint pass through the puddle as if an invisible entity has just walked in front of them i love that image it's beautiful stationary orange lights appeared in the sky a lot and these were different than those routinely witnessed by the sherman family because they didn't move at all they just stayed completely stationary just stayed there in position on one occasion terry sherman studied one of these lights through his rifle scope And it was a very clear, beautiful night. So the object was very visible to him. And he said it looked like some sort of portal with an opening at the center. And through that opening, he could see beautiful, clear blue sky. Oh, my God. And he's not the only one to have seen these, these portals in the sky. Who else has seen them? Other witnesses, which I'll mention later. You're like one of those terrible shows where you make us sit through a commercial before we find out who's been voted off the island. Well, there's no answers. There's, uh, I'm telling you right now, there are no answers. But these portals are, I've seen drawings of them. We can post them with, uh, with the uh, Facebook pod and with our Instagram or whatever. They, he does social media. I do the editing. No, I do all the work and you smoke cigarettes all day. I do. Do you still smoke? You don't smoke. You've been smoking for a long time. I smoked in like 20 years. Yeah, okay. God. It's it just I w- didn't want to die for something I had control over. That seemed yeah. boneheady. So anyway, there we are. This you'll see the drawings of these shapes. They're usually ovoid, and there's a through the other. You can just see on the other side uh, what I think it must be another dimension or another another place. Hmm. So people assume these are portals. Anyway, you'll see the drawings of them. That goes back to, again to the Bob Lazar theory of how spaceships travel. Right? They bring mm. spa- they collapse space together, so the ship is actually just collapsing the space in front of it. Anyway. The worst of all the manifestations were what they called the blood-red orbs. 
These orbs were awful. They weren't that common, and they were very fast. They would dart in and out of the trees and harass the livestock. They're actually like bad little imps. They were about the size of a common tennis ball and were almost always exclusively blood red in color. However, there were larger blue versions that would also occasionally appear. And when a blue orb appeared, anyone who came close to it would experience intense fear, apprehension, and anxiety. That's a Dementor. The Shermans hated the blue orbs. They were terrified of them because they made them feel so unwell. One night, Terry actually encountered one of the blues. And as it approached him, his hunting dogs that he had with him began to growl and whimper in terror. So Terry thought, I've had enough of this shit, and he lets the dogs loose. They chased the orb into the tree line, and he felt happy because he's like, okay, the dogs got rid of this orb that causes me to feel so unwell. Then he hears three yelps in the darkness, followed by complete and utter silence. Mm. The dogs didn't return. It was night, very blackout, and he was too scared to go and search for them because he was alone. When morning finally came, Terry and his son set out to find the missing dogs. On the ground, just inside the tree line, were three charred, greasy piles of what appeared to be flesh. That was all that remained of the dogs. Right? What? Yep. All right. The Shermans had understandably had enough. They were exhausted. They were terrified. And like I said, they felt like they were under siege. By this time, or about a year and a bit into it, they were all sleeping in the same room. Nights were absolutely terrifying for the family. They were filled with strange lights and strange creatures. It was overwhelming. They had, by that point, lost 14 head of cattle. Mm. And they were on the verge of bankruptcy. Terry had contacted a local newspaper about the situation at the ranch. And given the sensational nature of the story and what was going on, of course, it was picked up and subsequently picked up Mm -hmm. by other news outlets. Terry believed, because he was a very pragmatic man, that the activity at the ranch that they had experienced was associated with secret military technology. Mm -hmm. He didn't believe in UFOs or Native American legends, so he believed that they were part of some kind of military experiment. His family had endured 20 terrifying months on the ranch and he just wanted out. So at this point, enter billionaire Robert Bigelow. So Dan, that is the Sherman section of the Skinwalker Ranch experience. How are you liking it so far? That's um, an amazing story. And you know, it wouldn't make a good movie. No. It is, it's almost too unbelievable. It's too fantastic. It's phenomenal for this. But, you know, like Cabin in the Woods, it it reminds me of that, where they throw everything at you, which was a great movie, by the way. Yeah, I'm so excited for, like, to (laughs) find out what the second half of the story is going to be. You're going to love the second half because it takes a completely different turn. But anyway, I agree with you. When I first started to research this, it seemed to focus primarily on Skinwalker. And I thought, okay, this is cool. It's a Native American legend. It's terrifying. It's kind of our version, the indigenous version of the werewolf. Yeah. Shapeshifter. Love it. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, cattle mutilation. Wait a minute, UFOs. Wait a minute, Bigfoot. Wait a minute, invisible entities. Wait a minute, portal to another dimension. This place has it all. That's why so many people believe that this is a hub. I don't want to ask too many questions because I, I know we often do this to each other, but you know, and we have a second part to this coming 
and I'll probably have more after that. I do find, like, I, I really would be curious to hear, you know, if there were any interviews that the family gave. No. They didn't. They're really reticent about talking okay, about so, it. Okay, so, well, that's interesting then. So where, where did this, the information we have about this story came from that reporter that they reached out to? There's other stuff that I'm going to tell you um, about it, okay? But okay. I will tell you that the ranch is about to pass on to somebody else. But Terry stays on as the manager. What? Yeah, because he needs the money. So oh, no. we will we'll discuss all of that in the next part of the show. And that guy that bought it sounds like a made-up rich villain. Oh, it's a great story. He's a great character. Do you know, um, one of my favorite movies on Earth is Contact. Mm-hmm. Except for the last five minutes where they have fucking David Morse, whatever his name is, on the beach. and it, No, right? No. It ruined the movie. But do you remember the character that What's-His-Face plays? Oh, what's the fucking actor's name? It's been such a, I was a kid. I was a teenager when that came out. John Hurt? John Hurt, right? Old guy? He played the millionaire in it that had cancer. This guy is kind of that kind of person. He doesn't have cancer. Yeah, no, I'm thinking of contact with Jodie Foster, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, I think it was John Hurt, yeah. Yeah, anyway, he plays this amazing old rich man. Mm -hmm. This guy is like him. He's fascinating. So lots more to come in uh, part two of the Skinwalker Ranch. So folks, join us next week. I'm making you wait a whole week. You are a jerk face and just no good listener. I would never do that to you. Partly because I don't want to put the research into a five-hour show. It's like my parents, when I was little, they would always have one gift that I couldn't open till New Year's Day. What? And it would just sit under the Christmas tree until New Year's. Why? It was a tradition that my mother's family had, that they would have a gift to sort of usher in the New Year. Hmm. And uh, it would just sit there staring at me for the whole Christmas holiday going, ah, you can't open me yet, but you And would it be to. anticlimactic or was it like usually a really good gift? It was a good gift usually. Very good gift. My first clock radio was one of those gifts. There's nothing like a clock radio to say Merry Christmas, and now you'll get up early every morning. Shut up, you fuck. It made me so happy. <laughs> I wanted a clock radio so badly because the technology fascinated me. It was the clock radios that actually had the little tiles mm-hmm. that would that would drop, mm-hmm. right, to tell the time. And I would sit in my bed. Mm-hmm. I was 13, and I would watch the numbers roll over, and I thought, this is the future. You were the most hip and cool kid. No, yeah. I just wanted that clock radio. And you know what was right next to the clock radio? My lava lamp. Oh, lava lamps are great. And it was the original, not the stupid, awful ones that you buy at Spencer Gifts, but the real 60s lava lamp. And I would turn it on at night before I went to bed, and I would read my comics and watch my clock radio. Well, there you go. Look at that. I got an AT-AT. What's that? The Snowwalkers from Star Wars. Oh, those or, are great. Or AT-AT, as some people call them. Like a little model? No, I had the actual like figures went inside it. Uh, at that's probably that and the Millennium Falcon were two of my favorite things that I got at Christmas. The Adat are great. They're clumsy, but they're great. They're so cool. I love when the uh, they put ropes around their feet and they fall mm-hmm, over. Mm-hmm. That yeah. oh, that battle sequence at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back is one of the great moments of Star Wars, like all the Star Wars films. Oh, it's wonderful. So it's I bought cute. my son a new Adat a few years ago. And it was, it's like huge. And it actually is more representative of what those things would have looked like inside. Mm-hmm. So they fit like speeder bikes inside of it. And there's like levels in, inside the, you know, the main compartment. It's like a Winnebago. Oh. It's the RV God. of the future. God. Yeah. Did they see a Tauntaun on Skinwalker? <laughs> okay. We got to let these poor people go. 
we do. Hey, folks, if you like what you're listening to, please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram. You can always subscribe to our show, uh, I believe, through iTunes. I don't know. Can you? I guess you can subscribe through a lot of the different platforms out there. All kinds of ways. I subscribe to uh, podcasts through Google Podcast app. So there's many, many ways. Our show is free to, to listen to. All we ask is that you, uh, you share the word of the weird uh, with your friends and family if you like what you're listening to. Yeah, and Janine from Ohio, thanks so much for sending us your fruitcake. It was amazing. I actually ate it. You did? Yeah, I hate fruitcake, but I saw what Janine did and I thought that was worthy of a bite. Awesome. Okay, folks, so that's it. Uh, part two of Skinwalker Ranch come, coming at you next week. I will again be hosting, so Dan gets a bit of a break to uh, relax his, his vocal cords. And uh, yeah, so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye now. That's the noise they made. I feel like I've made that, I've done that impression before.